the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Ecos. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back. How much do you love sugar? Are you addicted to sugar? Do you even know that you're eating sugar half the time? Well, my next guest is a pro at this stuff and is trying to help people get away from the crap. You know, there's a lot of things that sugar, sugar is just such an appealing thing to us because it seems so harmless because it's everywhere. It's in the form of candy, chocolate, soft drinks, whatever. And it's just, it seems like it's not doing anything, any harm, but it actually is. And she's dedicated um, her last few years helping people become conscious and becoming conscious about their eating. And we take this from talking just about sugar, but to a, a, a really conscious approach on how to eat environmentally, which makes sense. And from our ancestors, how would they eat? How would they gather food? So Sherry Strong is going to be joining us. She's also from Vancouver where I am. So we had a really good conversation and yeah, we talked for over an hour. So make sure you stick to right till the end because there is a lot of information and you're going to learn a ton. So I really had fun with this one and we probably will do another one down the road. She's also done Ted talks. She's lived in Australia. So she's, she's very versatile in what she can talk about and uh, it's super, super interesting. So I hope you guys get a lot of value from this. Make sure to go subscribe, stay on top of the episodes. When you subscribe, it's free. It helps the show grow. And then you get to be on top of right when we record an episode and you get it right away. So it's a win-win. Also, at the end of the show, please leave a review. I love reviews. I appreciate all of you. Let's get right into it. Sherry Strong, everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. My next guest is the founder of the Sweet Project. I'm sorry, I'm going to redo that. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. My next guest is the founder of the Sweet Freedom Project. Her goal is to help 1 million plus people end sugar addiction. As you guys all know, sugar plays a big part in over 146 different diseases and is something that affects everybody globally and worldwide. She is also the author of Return to Food, The Life-Changing Anti-Diet, and spoke at TEDx Tokyo in 2009. She was also the well-being director to Sustainable Women's Business Conference, Jamie Oliver's 15 Foundation, the Reach Foundation, and was the curator and co-founder of the World Wellness Project. She is regularly invited to speak on radio, TV, all over the world, so we're really excited to have her, and we're going to talk about one of the most dangerous things on the planet right now, and it's sugar. So, Let's get into it. Really excited to have her. Sherry Strong, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Lance. It's an honor. Yeah, I'm really excited. And when we talked before, um, we talked about sugar a little bit and, uh, you know, I wanted to save a lot of it for this conversation. So I'm really excited. So maybe I want to just get, go back to the beginning. Tell us a bit about your story um, and then we'll get into why sugar is so bad. Okay, well, at the risk of scaring you, I'm going to start at birth. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, and like millions of people around the globe, I started off life on what I call the lethal recipe. Instead of breast milk, which is 
species specific design, perfect food for the human species and for any species that has milk. Um, I started off life on baby formula because my mother was bullied by nurses and doctors and coerced into believing that baby formula was better for her baby than breast milk. So I started off life with refined sugars, oil, salts, grains, chemicals. Um, and uh, I was addicted to sugar from birth. And how that manifested in my infancy was I was constantly crying and sick because I was malnourished and, and wasn't getting the nourishment that, that a little baby needs properly. Mm. Um, and also I was fed you know, cow's milk as opposed to human milk, which has a very different effect on the body and had massive allergies to it, sinus infections growing up. But the sugar um, always sent me on an emotional roller coaster. So I was a highly emotional child, and I didn't realize that sugar played such a big part of it, and massive amounts of depression. And at my worst, I was twice my size, so I like to joke and say I wasn't 10 foot four, I haven't had a massive height reduction. But I had all the symptoms of, you know, pre-diabetic uh, pre symptoms. I had de a depression that was pretty much lethal, I didn't want to live, and all kinds of, you know, markers that really would have led to disease if I didn't get off of sugar. And it really did turn everything around when I got off of sugar. So I went on to lose the weight and hold those positions of influence that you mentioned in the introduction. Um, and uh, I went on to write the book and was speaking around the world. So I was on the speaking circuit in Australia. I lived there for 22 years, was a media personality. So chef nutritionist. And um, I came back to Canada eight years ago on the on intuition, it was intuition that drove me to come back. I had an established career there based on reputation. And I knew coming back to Canada um, was a scary thing to do, but I listened to that voice of intuition. And as I was reestablishing myself here, my sugar addiction didn't go out of control, but it was a low level. I was a high functioning sugar addict, um, like high functioning you know, drug addicts and alcoholics. Mm -hmm. I was dependent on sugar and it wasn't until I almost lost my mom and I was in the hospital with her. She went into heart, kidney, and liver failure due to taking a fluoroquinone antibiotic. And um, it impacted her body because her immune system was compromised. There's literally thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who are being maimed by this fluoroquinone antibiotic. And when your immune system is low and you're eating foods that lower your immune system and sugar's number one, it leaves you very vulnerable to, in this case, you know, she almost died. And I looked around at the hospital and I was like terrified of losing my mom because my mom's like my person on the planet. And um, I realized how many of these people are in this hospital in some part and in many cases because of how they're eating, because they're malnourished and toxic. And there was one woman beside my mom who had broken her leg during a diabetes induced stroke. And she was in the hospital, looked healthy, you know, certainly looked a lot healthier than my mom. But she was managing her diabetes with insulin. And when her family came in, um, who cared about her, uh, they brought in a tray of Tim Hortons donuts to sit at the end of her bed for her to snack on during the duration of her stay. And it was a confluence of many factors. Six months before that, a colleague of mine, Peter Van Stoke, said, you need to take on a mission, a cause, Sherry. You need to take on sugar. And I was I remember at the time going, there's no flipping way I'm ready to give up sugar. And I, I'm editing it for your audience, but it wasn't until driving home I realized whether I was ready or not, I had to do something about it. 
And so I developed Sweet Freedom on the way home and we went on to host a summit with 24,000 people. And um, then I started my products and programs that help people deal with sugar addiction. Yeah, that's amazing. And it would have been challenging back then a lot more than now because I mean, when, what year did you really start to push this as far as, cause things have changed a lot yeah, in the last well, 10 years. Yeah. Well, this was just three years that I did sweet freedom. So right. I've done yeah. um, in the last three years, but I really started looking at my relationship with sugar. Um, at 23 years ago. Right. Yeah. Sugar is one of those things that people just don't, people are waking up a little bit now. And I wanted to talk about when you're in Australia as well, it's a lot, it's a lot worse for, I find when I was there about people consuming sugar and not having the knowledge I find here, you know, people get it that soft drinks pop, not many people drink them, but I, in Australia, it's still it's still very, there are your really health conscious people, but I feel like there's a lot of people that, that aren't as well. Did you notice a difference between Canada and Oz for that? Well, I think to be, this is my observation. It's yeah. not as, um, it's not the country that's the biggest determinant. It's mm. the socioeconomic group in the neighborhood you live in. Mm, interesting. Vancouver's very West Coast, very self-conscious. You know, you'll find parts of Melbourne that are very much that way. And yeah. you go up to Byron Bay um, but is, if you go out into any suburban area, you just go to a supermarket with the big yeah. box stores, you go to any rural area in Canada. So I just, you know, spent a week with my parents in Northern Alberta and you realize that it is a massive problem everywhere. Like mothers, you know, I'm, I have a, a niece who I adore, you know, and she loves her kids. And I remember seeing her in a space of an hour feed her son 20 different snakes. You know, those gummy snakes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's a toddler. He's a toddler. And it's like, come back and go, more mommy, mommy. Oh, no, no, no. But then he would beg and, you know, it would be given to him. And, you know, people think they're being kind, but it's what I call a mistaken kindness. Uh, I totally agree. And yeah, you're right. You know, because when I lived in Bondi, there's a lot of healthy people. You're right. It's, it's, there are the healthy spots and you, yeah, I mean, I remember living up near Cairns and Port Douglas. It was not like that, <laughs> but yeah, it's different awareness. I, um, I, what you brought up a good point about hospitals and this just blows my mind. Okay. Because, you know, my dad in 2017 was, was battling pancreatic cancer in the hospital. Right. And I go in, I flew in from Australia to go see him. You know, he had two days pretty much to live and I see them trying to feed him this crap that you wouldn't even feed a healthy person. Right. Like you wouldn't feed your dog this food. And it's like, where are your brains? Like, honestly, like where, where are your brains? Why would you feed somebody that needs nourishment so much this crap? And, and like, you're, Oh, it's okay. You know, there's, they're not well. So let's just give them more sugar. Yeah. Like, how, how ridiculous is that? And I mean, how, how have you tried to, like, what do you even say to the hospital when you go in there? Because I've noticed this with all the people in my family who have been sick, they go into the hospital, you almost lose this control and, and they just sort of take over and you're like, well, what am I supposed to do here? Like, it's like, they're just, they're not even paying attention and they have no, no consciousness of it. You know, what do you say to that? Like, what did you do in that situation? Cause this drives me freaking crazy. 
Yeah. Well, number one, you're right. They, they have no consciousness around it. So if you ask where their brains are, their brains are in their pocketbooks. It's yeah. all about being in hospitals. What I did about it is you can't change the consciousness. Like they have people um, who they get artificial sweeteners in there that wipes up two packets of Splenda can wipe out 80%, oh. one and a half packs will wipe out 80% of your good gut flora, right? Um, they, they feed sugar to, you know, diabetics and people with cancer who, you know, cancer loves sugar. So what I did is you can only control what you can control. So I've provided all my, my mother's food. So I was, you know, shopping for her, picking fresh berries for her, making smoothies, you know, making salads. She didn't get hospital food when I, when yeah. I was, so you can only control what you can control. But the consciousness is a big thing. And, you know, I, I've had people who have paid me, you know, um, to do a lifestyle makeover. So when they've, when they've been diagnosed with cancer, or, you know, I had a friend who had pancreatic cancer, well, became a friend, but, um, and he hired me to do a lifestyle makeover. So to clean out his fridge and all the, you know, the, the crap. And, um, I said, these protein powders are not good. You know, there's actually links between pancreatic cancer and these protein powders. And um, I cleared them all out. And when I came back, um, he actually had more of these protein powders. And I said, but we got rid of these. Well, why do you have them here again? He said, oh, my nurse told me it was all right to have it. I was like, your nurse? Do you ask your mechanic for nutritional advice as well? <laughs> yeah. And I think this is probably one of the, the things that shocks people is that doctors and nutritionists don't learn about the real foods that actually help reverse diseases. And in fact, many dietitians don't. Mm. Certainly of my generation, the dietitians were very much industry influenced and would promote products that, that were chemically laden and refined. So I had a client come to me one time and he, I looked at his sheet and he was diabetic and I said, why are you eating white cake mix for, for breakfast? Oh, he said, oh, it's a special white cake mix. And my dietitian said it was better that, than carrots because carrots would spike my blood sugar. But this cake mix um, has a low glycemic index, so it's not going to spike my blood sugar. Wow. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's sad. It's so sad that it's funny. Like, it's so sad that it's like mind boggling. Like, yeah. And it's part of the, the problem. Part of the problem is where we, we worship science over common sense. Mm. So don't get me wrong. I love good science. For it's sure. When I was the Victorian chair of nutrition Australia and I was speaking at dietitians conferences, I realized that there isn't a lot of good science out there that isn't industry influenced and pure, not adulterated by even unconscious bias from, from earnest researchers. Mm. So um, w one of the reasons I actually take the philosophical approach as opposed to the nutritional approach, which I don't, I'm a nutritionist, so I don't invalidate that approach, but I'm also a chef. So I have the marriage of the food that tastes good with the food that makes you feel good, but I wind it kind of all together with a philosophical bent. Because if you look at the healthiest, longest living cultures on the planet, they didn't reduce their food into macro and micronutrients. They had a kinesthetic relationship to what they ate. They ate seasonally, locally, organic, and whole. So they ate slow, right? But they also ate um, with a consciousness about how much it took this food to actually be prepared. Mm. So I started to wind these up in philosophies like nature's principle, the consumption concept, which I get, you know, the Ted talk on. Um, and I write about in my book, return to food. So they're, 
there's a whole kind of cultural and natural understanding about the philosophy, how we're meant to eat as the human species. That's what we're losing. When you start to break something down into its glycemic index and the numbers that impact your blood sugar level, but you ignore the fact that the foods created to make it impact your blood sugar at that level um, have been created like chemicals, mm-hmm. like, like we create um, and take opium sap and turn it into heroin or coca leaves and turn it into cocaine. These white chemicals that are used to fiddle with your body chemistry. Sure, it might lower your blood sugar or not make it spike, but I promise you it's creating other problems within the body. Uh, so, yeah, no, sorry. Go ahead there. I didn't want to cut you off. Well, I just, the, the bottom line of that is that we're, we're it's called wisdom, not mm-hmm. wisdom. You know, wisdom is the, you know, life experience and intelligent they're whizzes they're really intelligent right but they're dumb with it mm. because they're not actually looking at the bigger picture they're just looking at the minute and it's like a minute uh, the minutia sorry um the go, drilling down into a detail and not putting it in context of the the macro is dangerous and it's I'm sure you've seen movies or you've heard of, you know, a lawyer cross-examining someone on the witness stand and they drill down to such a fine point that they can actually make a lie look like the truth or a truth look like the lie because it's not in the context of the bigger picture. Mm. And this is what's happened with nutritional information is, and it's why that you can have one legitimate study that completely contradicts another legitimate study is because they're not putting this information into context. And I'll give you a really good example of this they can do a study based on oils. And so everyone's like, oh, now oils are bad for you. Well, most of the oils that we had, yes, because they process them like drugs. They use chemicals and heats um, and, and processes that remove the macro and micronutrients. Now, if you do two studies based on olive oil that's being exposed to heptane, hexane, phosphoric acid, bleach, caustic soda, had all the macro and micronutrients in, you do a study with that, it's not the same result that you're going to get if you use a cold pressed natural organic whole oil. Do you mm-hmm. see? So this is, there's so many details that, that yeah, people aren't um, thinking holistically about this and they're not thinking macro. Yeah. And that's a problem with a lot of areas as well. Meat gets demonized as like all meat is created equal. And I just don't believe that at all either. I mean, whether you're a vegan or not or whatever, I don't know. But I eat meat and I don't believe that that all meat is equal, right? Like there's so many things that so many factors. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, really, wild meat is the only source of meat that that humans, you know, can safely say is not harmful. Yeah. And and even then, it's hard to know what wild species are actually eating now because yeah. there's chemicals around. But there's a big difference between wild meat. And I always find it amusing. My friends who are hunters get so maligned by people saying that's so terrible, but they'll eat factory farm meat, mm. which if you just, if you just start to graze the surface of what actually happens in factory farms, yeah. it changes you on a level that you could never participate in eating, eating that again. Um, so, but every food has that wild. Natural. So the closest to nature, the better yeah. it is for, you know, to consume, but you eat what you eat eats. And most, even conventional farm, you don't even have to go into the mass, um, you know, where they treat the animals, like they're like animal concentration camps. Um, but even, you know, 
small farms conventionals. They're feeding their animals food that they would never eat in nature. Mm. And you eat what you eat eats. So for sure. Yeah, yeah it's very it's interesting. And so I, I want to get into why. Okay, so let's get into why sugar was bad. Like, what does it actually do to you? Because I think a lot of people are very interested in. And you know, you said a couple things earlier, and I really want to group this in together because I think a lot of people are very unaware of what it does. So maybe give us a list of some of the things that maybe most people don't know. Okay, so just kind of um, uh, to to make it um, digestible for for everyone. In very simple terms, the body copes with about a teaspoon of sugar um, in it it, it, at any given time, Um, and it can handle that. Beyond that, what happens is um, the cells, when they fill up with too much sugar, the insulin receptors actually close so the the glucose doesn't get into the cells. And then what happens is they they go into your, your bloodstream to try and find another place, and they'll go into your liver and your muscles. And that can only hold so much. And then when <laughs> those are full, it will then start to um, convert into fat, um, go into your fat cells and convert into fat. And it will create fatty tissue that can actually block receptors in the brain, every vital organ, right? So what happens is we start to develop things like fatty liver disease. So that's, you know, we develop insulin resistance um, and we develop, you know, um, uh, brain fog, uh, poor memory, all those things are connected to having too much sugars in your body and, and things that convert into sugar. So you, I, I had um, uh, a visitor the other day who was the woman and her husband were um, obese and kind of on the morbidly obese scale. And she said, oh no, he, oh yes, he needs that. <laughs> He's got sugar addiction. And I'm like, he does? <laughs> um, and she she said, I'm not a, I don't like sweets, so I don't have sugar addiction. And so as I started to talk to her and, and educate her that things like bread and rice and the grains, you may not like sweet things or have a sweet palate, but you can have a savory palate and be just as addicted to sugar. And she came back afterwards. She said, I've thought a lot about what you said, and I think I might have sugar addiction. So, um, so we're eating sugar in all kinds of things that we would never even dream of. So beef jerky, I, I saw beef jerky in the States two years ago that was 30% sugar, yeah. refined sugar. So what that starts to do is it blocks our body's ability to function optimally, to cleanse um, and to, to energize itself properly. So what you're gonna notice is that um, when you have sugar, it, it will actually create this dip in your blood sugar. And, and so as it goes into the dip, your body, like nature tends to overcorrect to compensate for the dip and so it'll produce too much insulin and then it you know pushes your your blood sugar down and you get the slump and when you're in the slump what do you do you um crave more sugar Mm. and so we're seeing over 144 diseases and conditions that are directly connected to sugar consumption now we know the big ones diabetes obviously heart disease. We've just learned that sugar is way more impactful on heart disease than fat is. Okay. Um, and, and things that convert into sugar. Um, cancer. We know that sugar's cancer's favorite food. Parkinson's. We're just finding out that, that there's links to the gut is actually more significant to Parkinson's disease than the brain is. Although it impacts the brain, it starts in the gut. And the same thing with Alzheimer's. 
So, and Alzheimer's is almost exponentially high, you know, in forms of dementia. And we, we know that these are all connected to um, refined foods. I don't think it's just sugar. I think it's beyond that. It's what I call the lethal recipe, refined sugars, oil, salts, grains, and chemicals. Okay. Mm -hmm. When we start to process things the same way we do to take drugs from their natural state to a highly addictive and toxic state, we're doing that to our food. So now what happens is we're eating a volume of food. We can eat a whole meal and, um, and not have any nutrients in it. So 20 minutes later, we're going into a cupboard or, or the fridge or the freezer. Thinking, I just want a little something, something. Whereas when right. you're nourished, you can have a tiny bit of food that is so nourishing. That's all you need. And often when I'll make a smoothie for, you know, if I'm working with clients, I'll say, in this smoothie, you actually have more nutrients than the average Canadian is getting in a day. And in some cases in a month or a week. So. Let's, let's dive into that real quick. What's a, what's a good smoothie recipe? So the big thing with, for me with smoothies is whole plant foods and mm -hmm. more vegetables and fruits. Um, you want good fats in there. So, you know, the hemp hearts um, and nuts and seeds can provide that. Great to soak them overnight. Um, I'm less of a cashew girl these days uh, just because of how, how they're actually farmed. I don't believe cashews are a food that's meant for humans. We've adapted to be able to use it. But in nature, it's, it's almost impossible for us humans to get a cashew out of its shell without um, producing a toxic substance that impacts our hands and the cashews. And in fact, you can see um, young, young women in, in countries where they have to shell it by hand. Their hands are blackened, they're burned. They literally are black burned. Oh no. Yeah, so, um, so natural fats, um, cold pressed coconut oil, but I'm more veggie based and with a bit of fruit just to create you know, palatability. The fruit's not there. Um, for um, uh, to make it you know super delicious it's there just to make it palatable um, and of course natural fruit fruits in their whole state um, have a very different impact on our body than than sugars but mm. I'm very much big on the plant-based smoothies okay all right awesome and no protein powders none of that pea protein or yeah, yeah natural a lot of that stuff's crap anyway it is it's a waste of money um, I want to talk about now I suffered from alcoholism for a long time. And I think I, my theory is, is that's a bit of a sugar addiction as well. Because when I quit drinking, I, as soon as I cut out the sugars, I didn't get the cravings for the booze anymore. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, they've, they've shown this in rat studies um, where basically there's a few things they've done with rat studies. So I'll tell you one where um, they gave the rats a choice between sugar and alcohol, but the rats were nourished and they chose, sorry, they gave them a choice between um, water and alcohol. And the, the rats, when they were nourished, they chose the water. Mm. So they took those same rats and they malnourished them and they chose the alcohol. And then they nourished them again and they chose the water. Wow. So one, one thing that I take from that, I extrapolate from that and I say, we're, we're pleasure-seeking beings. We're addictive beings, and we want to feel good. So if we're nourished, and I go beyond the physical, so if we're nourished mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, we don't need these substances to make us feel good because we can actually generate that sense of well-being internally, hmm. um, whether that's because of the physical or how you think and feel um, and whether your spirit feels alive. But when we live in a way where we're taking away the nutrients from our food and we're 
we have disconnection. So disconnection is huge. And they did this study with the rat park. So the original study, they um, based addictive kind of behavioral models off of was they put rats in solitary confinement and they gave them a lever to have the drug. And basically they were alone and isolated and malnourished. And of course they wanted the drug all the time. Yeah. Put these same rats into a rat park where they have social interaction, they have puzzles they can figure out, they have things that they can jump off of, you know, um, they have food, all these things. They never touch the drugs. Wow. So you know, the number one cause of addiction is disconnection, right? And we are social species. We're meant to eat together. Think about how many children grow up in houses now where there's no such thing as a family meal. It's like grab what you want or, you know, go up into your room or that kind of thing. Um, we're not connected deeply as a species. I, you know, I live in a neighborhood where I've reached out to my neighbors, but the only time I've ever heard from neighbors is when they want me to move my car. <laughs> yeah. I a spot in front of my house, right? So I've offered to, you know, babysit for neighbors, all that kind of thing. But culturally, we're just like, you know, no one's taking me up on it. I'm, maybe they think I'm the weird, you know, weird lady who's going to take their children away. I don't know, but <laughs> we're, we're disconnected as a species. Totally. We're disconnected not just from one another, but from our bodies kinesthetically of understanding what actually nourishes me, what makes me sick. You know, most people can't even distinguish the difference between an addictive response and a true response, response of well-being, right? Yeah. Connected from that what makes us feel alive because we are so conditioned to do jobs that make us money. And so people will sell their souls to do jobs that make them money and not do something that gives them a true sense of purpose and meaning in their life. Yeah, I, um, I definitely can relate with that, working in bars and stuff, you know. Once I got the alcohol out of my life, I just didn't want to do that anymore. Love the people. Yeah. But I just didn't love the, what I was doing and, and knowing that I was not to, not to say it's bad. I don't want to go down that road. I loved it. It was fun, but like I, you're poisoning people essentially, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I'm like, I just, I love the idea of, of the, the cocktails and stuff, but I don't like the idea of what I know it's doing to them. Right. Um, but yeah, no, that's very, I love that. That was really awesome. And for people to get a picture in their mind because yeah, like getting quitting alcohol in general is very tough, but a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of factors in their diet that are contributing to that craving, yes. you know, especially Absolutely. beer and stuff like that. And, you know, after I noticed, you know, when you eat clean and you do a fast or something like that, you just don't crave it. Like you just don't want it. Right. Cause you feel good. And I'm um, thank you for going into that. I have another couple really, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple questions here regarding different kinds of sugars. So I have heard over the years, your body doesn't know the difference between what kind of sugar it is, fructose, whatever the different kinds of sugar. And some people now I'm hearing your body processes fructose differently than um, fructose or glucose, whatever sugars there are. Can you maybe give us your insight on maybe the different kinds of sugars that people have and what your theory is on, does each sugar do something different or does your body just think, oh, it's sugar, let's process it the same way? What are your thoughts on that? So it's a great question. And I asked this question um, when I studied at Deakin University from one of my professors in the mid 90s. And um, I said, what's the difference between raw honey and how that impacts the body and refined sugar? And the answer I got was, 
sugar is sugar sherry there's no difference it just impacts the body all the same way so that's what they were teaching almost 30 years ago right mm. and there's still people who are teaching that there are other people who've gone the other spectrum and say that you know different sugars impact the body differently and so you should stay away from fructose and you only should have glucose and you know or sucrose or you know that kind of thing i take a different tactic and i go how much would you eat of it in nature nature regulates our sugar consumption because where's our primary source of sugar in nature fruit yeah okay do you know what happens to you if you eat too many plums yeah you spend a lot of time in the smallest room in the house right yeah <laughs> nature says and if you're, you know, if you're in nature and you're living a natural life as the human species, you don't want to be sitting behind the tree with diarrhea if you yeah. have to run. <laughs> so yeah. you regulate. The other thing is, is that there's a limit to what you can gather and preserve. So um, what you would be doing in nature is you wouldn't be eating all of your fruit at once. You would be preserving some throughout the, to have throughout the year because that's your big energy source. So nature's self-regulating with our sugars. What happens now is that once we stop sourcing our own food, we have a completely different relationship with it. And I cover this in what I call the consumption concept. So a simple example of it is if you have a choice between dinner tonight, I'm cooking for you. Remember, I'm a chef, so I can, I can make it taste good. Okay, well, that's it. I'm holding you, I'm, I'm holding you accountable <laughs> for that. <laughs> and on my menu is an omelet or roast chicken. What are you going to have? For dinner, yeah. depend, it ha all depends on the chicken and where it came from. There's a lot of factors. Yeah. Well, it's all organic, you know. Yeah. So um, organic, what are you going to have? I would probably have the chicken because it's for dinner just because yeah. I'm programmed that way. Right. Well, you're not alone. So 95% of people um, in a typical audience, excluding vegetarians and vegans, would say chicken. And the reason is chicken's more addictive than eggs. Mm. Okay. Given the same choice for dinner tonight, and I'm not involved, and there's no supermarket, and you have to go out and find a chicken, what would you rather cook for dinner tonight? An omelet to find the eggs, or would you catch, pluck, bleed, disembowel, and prepare the chicken? Or would you have the omelet? If they the omelet. That's a very good point. Very right? good point. Yes. So, but even the most hardened carnivore, if you ask them the same question, and they know that that chicken's one meal and that they're going to lay about, you know, 200 eggs in their lifetime. They think very differently about killing the chicken versus mm. stealing the eggs. Right. That's a very good point. Very yeah. good point. So wow. you can extrapolate on this um, to, to start to think, well, okay, so if I'm having blueberry smoothies every day, how, how, what would it take resources for me to actually gather, grow and gather, enough so I can have a cup of blueberries, so 365 cups of blueberries a year. What would I have to do to actually grow those, water those, feed those, pick those, freeze those, if I had to make a freezer, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we start to get an idea of, oh my goodness, we're eating very unnaturally. And if that was just blueberries that I was over consuming, that wouldn't be a problem. But if we start to look at all the areas in which we're over consuming, um, it becomes a problem. So and the other, the other factor is, is that when getting back to your original question, which is a great question, there's a very big difference between having the juice from blueberries and having the whole blueberry. There's a big difference between having conventional blueberry juice and conventional blueberries to having organic and biodynamic blueberries. Do you know what I mean? And the juice from it. So having the juice, you're not having all the fiber, 
um, and the vitamins and minerals that are trapped in the cells of the cellulose and, you know, and, and in the body of the, the actual fruit. So you're getting a lot, but you're also getting a highly you know, um, concentrated version of the sugars. So it's gonna have a very different impact on your body. So it's, when you ask the question about what sugars are good and what sugars are bad, this is how I, how I take it. Because I can go on with this. Yeah, now. this is very interesting though. Go on as long as you want. I could do a whole session just on that yeah, one. This is great. But the easiest way I, I teach people, because my idea and the food philosophy piece and how I work as a food coach, I want to liberate you from being dependent on me. I want you to develop critical thinking so you can think on your own and understand. So you're not emailing me with all these different little questions <laughs> that would, um, I wouldn't have the capacity to do what I do if, if people were that kind of dependent on me. I want you to be able to walk into a supermarket and go, I'm armed with intelligence and wisdom and a philosophical approach that helps me understand what I'm meant to eat as the human species. So what would I eat in nature? How much of it would I eat in nature? Um, and really, what are the sugars that you would eat in nature? Well, you would eat fruit, you know, um, and you wouldn't be processing any of it out in nature. You would want the whole fruit because there's just so much goodness in it. It would be ridiculous to squeeze the juice out of the blueberries and throw away this precious pulp that was so good for you. Um, the other thing, too, is uh, honey. Well, you had to fight bees and bears for raw honey and it was gold, it is liquid gold and in its natural state, it is a highly um, precious food. And I call it a food because it has healing properties in it and all kinds of things. But modern day honey, most of that honey is made um, by feeding the bees sugar syrup. So you imagine if sugar impacts us as a human negatively, what's sugar syrup doing to a bee, a tiny little bee, that's meant to live off of highly nourishing nectar and pollen, right? Okay, that's what it's meant to feed off of, not an empty sugar syrup. But then what they'll do is they'll actually drug the bees um, uh, to produce more. They, um, they will, even modern honey, many of the honeys are watered down with glucose and syrups, right? So you're not even getting real honey. And that's creating environmental problems. So what I say in return to food is what's good for the body is good for the planet. And what's good for the planet is good for the body without exception. So we can't be doing this to the bees and it not impact us. It's just, we're, a, you know, we're living as one organism. One living organism is the planet. And when we put chemicals in our food, it doesn't just stick on the food. It goes into the soil system and the soil will pick up the chemicals and it'll go internally into the, the food. It goes into our waterways. They have toxic sludge, green toxic sludge that they find deep under sheets of ice in the Arctic. And that toxic sledge of chemicals that we've been using for the last, you know, hundred years, you know, including things like DDT, you know. Mm. Um, and so when we're coming back to understanding how we're meant to eat sugar, we start, need to start to think like the human species in nature and how much would we eat of this? And when we start to answer that question, we realize it's actually probably closer to that teaspoon of sugar that our bodies can handle. Interesting. What about, okay, so let's, let's talk about lactose, like dairy, that kind yeah. of thing. So just, just before I go back. Oh, yeah, sure. No, no, it's not your fault. I forgot to mention that the average, you know, North Americans has about 17 to 31 teaspoons of blood in their, sugar in their blood at any one time. Wow, that's nuts. So you see from one teaspoon, you know, and, and 
if you're like me, this year is sugar addict where I was having a liter of ice cream for breakfast a day, you know, and a whole chocolate cake in a day, oh, you know, that would have been, you know, 17 tablespoons. So to lactose. So um, all we need to do is to look at how we're meant to eat as the human species. Well, your body starts, stops producing the enzyme to break lactose down at two. And that's designed to perpetuate the species. So a mother could go on and feed the next child that she was going to produce, right? We're never meant to consume any milk past the age of two, particularly milk of other species. So, but there's an industry that's convinced us that we've needed to do it. And humans are highly adaptive. So we have appropriated and stolen everything on the planet, you know, for our survival. And that might have worked for a long period of time, but what's happening right now is we're moving um, into from this very selfish species that has taken everything, you know, to survive and adapted. So cow's milk was never meant for humans. It was meant for baby cows to turn them into 1,200 pound beans, you know, and, and, you know, a little baby that's drinking the milk of a cow that's meant to turn a cow into 1,200 pounds, it has a very different impact on the body. And past weaning, you don't have the enzymes to break it down, so it creates all kinds of problems. Mucus is one of your body's way. And not only that, we're not, even, we're not only not drinking, you know, our species-specific milk, which human milk has over 300 unique compounds that are species-specific and do different jobs that formula hasn't even come close to, and cow's milk doesn't do because it's designed for another species. But we're now cooking that milk, and we're treating it with all kinds of chemicals and homogenization that creates leaky gut. So you would never homogenize milk in nature, you know? Um, and you would only ever eat the cow's milk if you didn't have other food sources, right? So, um, because if you think about it, it's really an unnatural thing. I, I don't know of anyone who, you know, as a baby saw a cow and went, oh gee, I, you know, I wanna suckle on that teat, you know? Mm. It's, it's not designed for the human species. And we see, you know, all kinds of problems that actually come from it. And I haven't had a client yet that's given up dairy and thought that was a bad, you know, that had a bad effect on my, my body. The problem is, is that dairy has opiates in it. Like all um, milk, it has opiates in it because not only does milk provide nutrition for the baby, but, and hunger perpetuates the baby to actually, or, you know, gets the baby to actually eat. But now it's got opiates in it which is another thing, the baby becomes addicted to the opiates in mother's milk to ensure the species, um, survival of the species, because now it's addicted. It's just another survival mechanism to perpetuate the species, survival of the species. Okay, so, um, so lactose um, as a sugar, what's happening now is we're saying, oh, fat's bad, you know, it's clogging our arteries because this fat is meant to make a, a cow big. <laughs> um, it's not meant to make a human, right? And so, it's, it's a fat that we're having in too much. And if you're not eating a lot of processed foods, you might be able to handle it. But if you've got processed foods and processed dairy and you're eating tons of it, it's going to be hugely problematic in the body. So what they're doing is they're taking out the fat in the milk and they're bumping up the sugars in them. So all the 2% and the skim milks are high sugar milks. So you may not have that fat that might clog your arteries, but now you've got sugar that converts into fat that will clog your arteries and, and your vital organs. So would you say though that, because, okay, this is so interesting because I've talked to so many different people about this. I've talked to carnivores that say, don't eat this, don't eat. And then I, you know, I've heard raw milk is good. What is So this is the thing again, 
Now there's a difference between raw milk, right? And it's like then obviously processed crap that we get in the stores, pasteurized, right? Yeah. And same with, yeah, pasteurized. Now, what are your, and, and let's talk about butter. Let's talk about stuff like that, like grass fed butter. What are your thoughts on like actual quality dairy though, from like a yeah. grass fed cow versus, because you're right. I've heard this Dr. Paul Saladino, he eats nose to tail. That's, that's what he eats. All the organs eats the animal. But he says, stay away from the dairy because the dairy creates that addictive, that, and, and I, it's, yeah, you know, but then I've also heard other people say that raw milk, raw in its own state is good. So I love this, this, you know, hearing these different opinions. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Like the dairy? So, and I've, I've heard it all. And, you yeah. know, I, I hosted in Australia, I interviewed Sally Fallon, who represented the Weston A. Price Foundation. You know, I've heard all the arguments. I understand the whole raw milk thing. Um, and even if there were benefits in it, humans, I believe this is, I just put a proposal into UBC to teach a course called Regenerative Food Philosophy. Wow. Because cool. um, we are actually at a critical place on the planet that requires us as the humans to move beyond survival of the fittest to survival of the unselfish. Our selfishness of appropriating everything on the planet and eating anything that we want is having the most devastating effect on our, our environment and climate change. Wow. So I'll give you an example. I went to a, um, an, in, uh, an interview with David Suzuki, uh, Beyond Climate, the film that had come out. And I asked him, I said, at the end of the film, I said, you guys focused a lot on fossil fuels and the pipeline and why it's bad for the climate, but you didn't even talk once about our food system and how what we're addicted to is having a massive negative impact on the planet. Can you talk to me about that? So in Canada, for any of your viewers who don't know who David Suzuki is, he's had a show for 28 years called yeah. The Nature of Things, probably one of our highest profile environmentalists, if not the most high profile environmentalists. And he said, well, you know, you know, and he's, you know, he's in his seventies and he said, well, you know, the biggest thing we can do for the planet is to stop eating meat. Like if we really want to ensure our survival as the species, we need to stop eating meat. He said, but I'm an omnivore and I'll eat fish until there are no more fish. And I'm not pointing the finger at David Suzuki because I am an omnivore. Um, although I'm like 90 to 95% plant-based. Um, but I just think if this person who has so much knowledge, who cares about our planet, you know, and is an environmentalist, can't give up his meat addiction, even though he knows it's the thing that can actually save the planet, um, we have a problem. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people who have like 1% of his consciousness around the environment, who are eating without any kind of thought to how what they eat impacts the body. And so what I see is a lot of people justifying what they want because meat's highly addictive. Um, try and give it up. You know, it's highly addictive. I think it's just as addictive as dairy. I would disagree. Um, it may not have opiates in it, but it has biochemical elements in it and hormones in it that I think are like a vampire craves blood. I think humans, you know, once you're habituated, crave meat. And I do. Okay, so... So here we're at this critical juncture on the planet where we've got people telling other people how good meat is for us. And there's two things that come from that. Number one, for me, that my biggest struggle with it 
is if you start to look into the incidence of animal cruelty, most of our meat, the majority of it, there's how, what percent do you think we're eating that's wild? Maybe, maybe less than half a percent of meat on the planet is wild consumed, certainly in North America. And then if you look at the organic and, and biodynamic or like Joel Salatin, um, who's the farmer who says, you know, a, an animal should only have one bad day in its life. I would say at the most, that's probably 2% of the food system that we're actually consuming meat that way. Hmm. So the rest of the meat that we're eating is eating an unnatural diet, is exposed to what we would consider concentration camp, uh, brutality and conditions and the food, you know, it, it's just, I mean, it's heartbreaking when you start to read these stories. When I saw, first saw Earthlings, it took me seven times to get through that film and I was hyperventilating, crying. And then I went off of meat, you know, I was militant about it, I was giving away my leather boots and all that kind of stuff. And it slowly crept in and it was addictive. Um, and it's easy for that to happen because we're just like sugar. Meat is socially acceptable. You know, it's, it's celebrated, you know, there's, you know, the, you know, the, the macho yeah. kind of new age manner. It's like, you know, this is for our survival and we got to survive. And I'm like, actually, dude, if you want to survive as a species, particularly your children that you're building all these great genes for and their children, you need to be unselfish. Mm. And you need to start to pare down your meat consumption. There are people who are eating meat at every single meal. Yeah. Now, one, that's not healthy for the human body as far as you want longevity and sustainability because we know that plant foods have way more protective substances in them. You may not be eating processed foods, and so there's a benefit to that. And there are, you know, obviously there are nutrients in it. But that is completely unsustainable for the planet. And it, it's, to me, it's a, just another form of, sickness where the one percent gather all the money for themselves mm. it's like there's another percent of people it's like uh, my survival is way more my mine and my family's survival is way more important than yours but we don't understand is that that mentality is actually destroying our planet not so much our planet but the conditions that actually allow the human species to survive yeah no i i love it i love your your take on it it's it's yeah, very, yeah. I mean, but would you say that a lot of the big companies though are preying on a lot of the vegan communities and creating stuff like beyond burgers and crap like that, where they're just basically, oh yeah, let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's take this vegan, these people that want to be vegan and then let's make this crap so that they think that they're doing this great thing, but really they're just like the new low fat. It's the new, you know, big companies taking over, right? And this Beyond Burger, there's a reason it's in A&W. There's a reason it's in this. It's because it's, it's, it's just, there's so much money funded for it. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so I have lots of, okay. So when I first heard about Beyond Burger, I, my intuition went, it's probably crap. Yeah. But I like the idea that if most of the burgers that people are eating are crap. Like yeah. the, the meat is not worth eating right? So yeah. it's crap. And then they put it with fillers and it's not working. So I'm thinking if you've got two crappy burgers, um, you might as well feed, feed unconscious people the crappy plant-based burger as opposed to the meat-based sure. burger. So that's my philosophy. But then I, I tried it. I was in the supermarket, my local supermarket, and they had samples there. And I thought, I'm going to try this, right? 
and first put it into my mouth and I was like, wow, that actually tastes like beef. That's amazing. Um, but then as I started to walk through the supermarket, and this is my unedited kind of observation, I was like, that tastes horrible in my mouth. So I got this initial kind of thing that tricked my brain into thinking, oh, this tastes like meat and it's good. But then the actual residue of the other stuff started to, I'm not kidding without a word of a lie, and it's, it's not very elegant of me, but it started out tasting like the cow. And then by the end of the supermarket, it tasted like something that came out of the other end of the cow. Mm. <laughs> it tastes yeah. like shit, basically. Yeah. And I was grabbing something from my bag to put in my mouth to mask the flavor of it. Yeah. And I personally believe that I understand the vegan movement of wanting to not eat animals and do everything within their power. Because look, Lance, if you walk into a, I went into one of the, I worked in one of the cleanest pig farms in Alberta um, and they had hay bales and it, the smell was so disgusting. I had to fight gagging every time I walked into the, and it was, it was the inspector said that it was one of the cleanest in Alberta. And this is going back 30 years ago. Oh God. And the way the animals were treated then was just, it made my heart so sad, but I've since read accounts of the most horrific things that we would see, you know, on, on films that feature psychopathic serial killers to the nth degree that are done to animals that are sentient beings that we know pigs are intelligent and it'd be like yeah. you doing it to your cat or dog. And, and so I understand that vegans want to stop that. And we absolutely yeah. could. I, I agree with that part for sure. Yeah. yeah. So no one, no one can disagree with that. Yeah. But as far as the planet goes, the plant-based crap is still going to create environmental problems because yes. you're creating all these chemicals and you're also making people sick. And if you start to look at how if people get sick and they go into hospitals, it's not just animal foods that are doing it, but you will get people who are so passionate. They become like the fundamentalist Baptist Christians of the food world, you know, <laughs> or yeah. raw foodists, you know, they get on their like holy roller, you know, you must not eat that cooked food. That cooked food is the food of the devil. You eat that cooked food. Yeah. You're painful sinful death and go straight down what you want is the raw food because the raw food is way of the lord and latin will be healed and hallelujah and amen go straight to heaven right so we get these food fundamentalists that kind of do these things um without actually again looking at the big picture so and what i my simple answer to beyond beyond uh, meat burger eat a lentil and mushroom burger it's way better for you it's way better for the environment it tastes a hell of a lot better what about people that have bad like okay so here's the thing is i've tried it all as well and what about the people that get like that SIBO or like gas in their gut from too many veggies right there's been times where look i've tried it all now and for me personally if i have too many veggies it's it's an uncomfortable like i'm told to eat broccoli i'm told to eat all this stuff and i've done it all i've tried it all but I don't, my body doesn't feel good when I have too much of that. There are people out there, right? And I've done the lower car, the lower veggies, eggs, meat, and I've, I haven't had the gas. I haven't had the bloatedness. Now, I know everybody's different. Everybody reacts differently. But what are the people, what about the people that don't do well with too many veggies and lentils and stuff? Because if I have lentils, you don't want to know, you don't want to see me for the next while. Yeah. Like, right? So- how do we how do we figure this out for the people that are you know are, are struggling with that yeah well there's ways of doing it right and there's ways of not doing it right yeah so um 
there's lots of things uh, that produce gas in your gut, but there's all different kinds of elements within your body that will actually create that. So depending on your gut flora, right, you, you can actually provide a hostile environment for vegetables. Yeah. That the, your body actually wrecks. So if, you, if your gut flora is not balanced and healthy, vegetables can be abrasive and, and create problems. So you need, to, you need to work on building up, up the gut flora. Um, and the thing is, too, is that uh, a lot of lentils and beans and things like that, there's ways of actually cooking them that reduce the lectins, which reduce the right. gas, you know. Um, uh, yeah, there's, so it's, it's about finding the ways that actually work and, and, and cook. And it can also be a volume thing. People just assume, well, it's vegetables, so I'll just eat tons of it, right? Yeah. Don't eat tons of it. And your body will actually say, whoa, like, you know, a, a salad this big is actually enough for you. You don't need a big bowl of salad. <laughs> this, this yeah. Bowl. Um, and so what's actually happening is that we're, we stop listening to our bodies and we're, we're thinking our way through it rather than having an integrative mm. approach to a holistic approach to listening to your body. Your gut tells you something, you know, your kinesthetic, you know, um, connection to the food will tell you something, your brain will tell you something, your palate will tell you something. And it will always kind of react. And I promise you that there will be reactions from having meat in your body that you just got used to. But what happens is when something's addictive, we have a justification mode. So um, where we, the trade-off of the feeling that we get from the addictive substances, we will focus on that and ignore the other piece. Little example. Do you remember the first time you had coffee? Yeah, I wish I would have never ever done that. Yeah. Did you, <laughs> did you really like? The no, I didn't. I drank my took a sip of my dad's. It was like that, that insta crap. <laughs> yeah, but here's what happens with the body is, and we, same with alcohol. Most people, their first taste of alcohol is like, oh god, that's fine. Yeah. It's terrible. Or you know, um, even raw chocolate. Like all these things, nature has a, a way of saying hold off. But what happens is because we're such an addictive species, we taste it and it's horrible. And then all of a sudden we get this pleasure response. We go, Oh, maybe it's not so bad. <laughs> and then you develop a palate for anything. So what happens is that we can actually have foods that are addictive, that we get this pleasure response. That's what we associate it with. We don't associate the fact that it's actually, you know, not helping our body function as optimally. So I'm an omnivore. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, um, uh, that you have to stop eating meat. I don't, I don't say that. I'm not, a, I'm trying not to be a hypocrite. What I am saying is that one, you probably don't need as much as, as you're eating as most humans, like yeah. it's or certainly as much as we're conditioned to. Um, and what I look at, I look at cultures that were long living, healthy, had great social structures, you know, lived to long ages. And I, I also look at, you know, people who survive um, experiences of long periods of food deprivation, like in concentration camps. And you hear about some of these people who lived into their 90s and their, you know, beyond 100. Um, and you realize how much little food it actually takes to, to nourish us and yeah. to actually give the body what it needs. The problem is, is that the way we're growing things is diminishing their nutrients. So we we tend to eat more of them. But I look at cultures like, you know, when I look at old country cultures like the Greeks, you know, and the Italians and in lived in rural areas, 
um, and in the 17 cultures that routinely live beyond 100 years, many of them had meat once a week. And yes. it, was an, it was more than enough. And here's the other thing is that when they ate that meal, they gave thanks for that meal. There was a consciousness within that family that there was a loss of life that happened. And I have a, an example where I used to make salami with an Italian family in Melbourne. And I tasted the salami and it was literally um, like the floodgates opening, it was amazing. And I said to them, I said, is there any way I can make this with you? And they said, oh, well, it's the family, it's you know, the siblings, we all get together, it's over a weekend, three days and they get a, a pig and they take it from slaughter right to actually making all the sausages. Wow. And um, the reason I got into to making it two years in a row is because one of the brothers had remarried and his two stepchildren tasted the salami. Now, what happens is everyone gets their portion for the year. And the kids, these two kids who had never been involved in this process, ate the entire year's salami in a month because it's so delicious, right? Addictive. And he's like, right, well, you guys ate everything. I'm not doing it the next year because they didn't get it. And what I thought, and I was lucky you didn't do it because I got in to, to, to be able to do this experience with them. If he had actually got them involved in making it, seeing the animal killed, bled, you know, stripped down from the bone. That's a lot of work. There was, there was over 10 people working three days to render the beast, take all the meat down, grind the meat. The meat was, you know, ground. Um, it was taken off. It was all hand mixed. You know, you're in a cold, damp, you know, garage for three days on cement floors. You're taking the actual casings, which are from the gut, and you're stuffing it. There's a lot of work you have, and then you have to wait seven weeks before it's cured and ready. So there's, there's a lot involved. And, and what happens now is people will go to a supermarket and they'll buy something in a package and not realize that that pig has been tortured. In some cases, I read something just the other day where a farm, sorry, a factory farm worker um, was torturing this pig. And one of the things it did was it, rubbed its nose in salt and it went crazy and then it kind of settled down oh. and this guy didn't think it was bad enough so what he did was he sliced a section off of his snout and rubbed rubbed his snout in the salt on oh. top of all these other wounds and the pig was just like going ballistic right it was it was tortured and this is what people don't realize is maybe they're not all killed that way but when you buy meat on the counter and you're unconscious about what you're purchasing, you participate in a system that that does this. So yeah. um, it's I'm not saying it's an easy path to navigate. I struggle with it all the time. I struggle, I often say I'm a wannabe vegan in a hopeless carnivore's body, right? I'm in the process of of figuring it out and I don't yeah. think it's that simple. And I'm not trying to make it over simplistic, but we need way more consciousness for our very own survival, for your children and your children, children's survival. We need to do things differently. Yeah, no, I, I, I really like your perspective. I really, it's very, it's, you know, it's definitely making me like think differently. I, um, <clears throat> it's, yeah, it's hard to argue with, right? I mean, you have to be conscious. And I think we, we go to the grocery store and sometimes we aren't as conscious. Like we may be thinking about, 
in a certain sense, but then other times we're not. And I think we need to be more responsible. I do like what you said about earlier when you, when you think about when you're in nature, like how much would you really be eating? Like how many berries, like for a meal, you're, you're, you're not going to indulge. And if, cause you're probably going to have to make it last long. So you're going to be really smart with how you proportion your food. And if you eat like that and you think about, well, if I'm out in the wild and I got to go and pick these, this is a pain in the ass to go up to that thing and pick it. Maybe I won't eat as many now, you yeah. know, and <clears throat> excuse me. And I, I like that idea. I like that perspective of thinking about what it would be like in the wild. And this is why I like Joe Rogan hunts his own meat. Right. And I, I, I like the, I like the guys that hunt their own animal and, and you know, they, they eat the own animal. And I respect that because they've done the work. They've done all of that that goes into it. It's more conscious, right? Like you, like you're talking about. And yeah, I, I really believe that we, we need to be more conscious. And I think well, majority of the population isn't and doesn't care. Right. Yeah. And um, I really appreciate you diving into that. Cause that was like, very, very informative. And I'm sure a lot of people got value from that. Thanks, Lance. That's, um, <clears throat> that's amazing. I, um, wow, it's already been almost an hour. And so I, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I really, uh, this was, this was amazing. And we might have to do another, another part because we didn't even really get into your story and a lot of other stuff, but just so much value there and so much gold that people can go and learn from. Where can everybody find you? Easiest place to find me is at sweetfreedomlife.com. And um, if you look at Sweet Freedom Life on YouTube, we've got a channel there and um, Sherry Strong on YouTube. There's over a hundred videos there um, that really, there's recipes, you know, there's all kinds of resources there. So no matter where you are on your sugar addiction path or your, wanting to develop a healthier relationship with food, your body and the planet, there are resources there. And um, yeah, like you said at the introduction, we wanna help people get, uh, you know, over 1 million, we'll start with a million plus people to get sugar free, just free of the, the hold that sugar has on you. Doesn't mean I'm not 100% sugar free. So it's about having freedom around, I, sugar, I'm not sugar's bitch. <laughs> yeah, well, I like that. Don't be sugar's bitch. Yeah. Um, actually, one more thing I wanted to touch on. I just thought okay. of what are your thoughts on stevia, uh, on uh, xylitol? For yeah. all you guys that aren't familiar, there's, there's natural sweeteners that are out that people use. So Z, stevia, xylitol, urethritol, how do you say that word? What are your um, thoughts on those? Okay, so they start out as natural. Stevia leaf is natural. Tastes terrible. It's bitter. It's super sweet. I don't like it, but some people can handle it in its natural state. Cool. Um, xylitol, anything that's white is highly processed. So just because it starts out as natural doesn't mean that when you get it in its white form, it's natural. So uh, xylitol goes through 14 different processes, just like refined sugar or, you know, artificial sweeteners. So the artificial sweeteners, you know, the aspartames of the world are neurotoxins, yeah. excitotoxins. You, you want to avoid those big time. Um, and they're contributing to the things like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. And now the, you know, the proof's just coming out. Um, so, but don't be deceived by the fact that it says it's natural. If it's white, I, like I, when I'm teaching with Aboriginal populations, I say, you know, um, Steve Martin gave you the best nutritional advice. Don't trust whitey in the jerk. 
when he, in the film, the jerk, he's like, don't trust yeah. Whitey. It's funny for those people who've seen yeah. the film. But I said, don't trust the white man's food. The white man's white food is what's killing all of us. You know, refine the lethal recipe, refines oil, salt, sugars, grains, chemicals, all white stuff, right? Mm. They remove the natural nutrients in it. And although it may not spike your blood sugar, I promise you it'll create other problems within your body. Very interesting. Very interesting. I, uh, I love it. What, um, so my, I just have one question for the end. Um, now I'm going to, I'm going to obviously target this towards nutrition, but what's one tip for people to overcome adversity with their food or in life to go on to become successful in their lives? Yeah. So much of, you know, the whole piece around nutrition is based on fear. I would, um, I would move into love, love for your body, love for your planet. And that doesn't mean I love myself. So I'm just having the cake right now. Cake's not actually an act of love, right? It's an act no. of addiction, very different. So when you, when you start to move into the space of wanting to love our planet, wanting to love your body, wanting to love and be grateful for the amazing food that we have, because people say, oh, it's really hard giving up addictive stuff. It's actually, even though we have more addictive stuff available to us, we also have more healthy stuff available to us than we've ever had. And when you start to look at that food and you start to appreciate all the resources it requires from the planet and people to provide it to you, and you just have to go to the farmer's market or the supermarket and pick it up. And you go, if you start to view it with this kind of love coating as opposed to fear coating, you choose organic and you pay more for getting spring water, right? Mm. <laughs> because that's better for the planet than, than chemically treated tap water. And you start to drink that. You'll, you'll start to feel it in your body and just go for the, you know, wanting to feel better, like truly better, not just superficially better, better for a day or a month, but think long-term and, and really make the basis of your decisions, love, not fear. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Each time I do that question, I get something different. And that was, that was awesome. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on, Sherry. That was, that was really, really good. That was, uh, that, that was a lot. We went a lot more depth than I even thought. And that's what makes this so awesome is that we went sugar and just talked about the whole, the whole picture and the consciousness part of it really, really struck with me. So thank you so much. And I, I really, truly appreciate it. Well, my pleasure, Lance. And I'll, I'll give you credit where credit's due. You, you ask great questions and you're super engaged. So it makes a difference. Well, thank you. I generally take an interest like I love to take an interest in people and we start to talk about this kind of stuff. Like I could talk for another two hours, you know, and it's like, that's the kind of thing I'm almost, I need to start making my show longer because I, I just still, there's still stuff I want to talk about, but you know, that we can, we can always talk about that later. And I, I just, yeah, there's just so much value there. And I generally, this stuff interests me and I love learning and growing. So, um, and I'm all the listeners, they love it too. You know, we have so many different, different people and different adversities because there's adversity in so many areas and just, it's like, I just get to keep learning and it's just, it's truly amazing. So again, make sure you check out Sherry strong, everybody. This was awesome. And yeah, we'll uh, maybe do a round two down the road. I love that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Hey guys, that was such a great episode. I hope you enjoyed that check out Sherry. She's, she's great. Her business, everything she's doing is it's very smart. Her conscious approach really 
really changed my perspective and has me thinking differently. So um, thank you so much, Sherry. That was awesome. Guys, make sure you go subscribe if you haven't already. I'm truly grateful for everybody that subscribes. You stay on top of it and you help the show grow. And leave us a review. Let us know what you thought about it. Even if you didn't like it, reviews are great, you know. Hopefully, you'll give it a five star. If not, I won't, it won't hurt my feelings. I just love the true feedback of what you got out of the show, everybody. So I love you all. I appreciate you. We'll catch you next time. Have an amazing day. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.